Welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are now a part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials, and more. Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror community, from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks, and so much more. We are so happy to be part of the spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now, on with the show. I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where I put down my bloody knitting needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode, we are returning to the supernatural with a look at werewolves. We will be exploring the topic of masculinity in the films Wolfman from 1941 and Dog Soldiers from 2002. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. So, Kelly, why did we choose these two particular films? Overall, we always try to choose like an older film and a newer film because, you know, different generations sometimes have different things to say and different uh, ways to represent different themes. So, I mean, The Wolfman was kind of a little bit of the obvious choice. And anytime that I can revisit a classic monster film, I love doing that. And then because we wanted to talk about masculinity, we thought a perfect match to The Wolfman would be Dog Soldiers. And I hadn't seen it before, so why not? <laughs> Pretty much. So Kelly summed it up perfectly because we have these meetings, we have discussions about what we want to look at. And I think looking at films from the, you know, the 1940s to kind of like the millennium age and seeing the differences of how masculinity is represented and how the werewolf has transformed on the, the silver screen really makes a huge difference in terms of our discussion and the conversation we're going to have today. Mm-hmm. I love it. Before we jump into these movies, as the history buff that I am and how much I love <laughs> legends and folklore, I wanted to get into like a brief little legend of the werewolf and talk about a couple things to kind of get us rolling. So there are various myths around the world about werewolves, and typically these myths are either revolving around someone either morphing into a powerful wolf, so just a giant wolf, or a mutated combination of a wolf and man, or typical werewolf. But ultimately, they always become bloodthirsty beasts who kill animals and people alike. There is unclear origins of where the werewolf legend come from. There are tales that it's part of the epic of Gilgamesh, which is a Western tale about, you know, a lover being left behind and she turned her lovers into a wolf. There is the Greek mythology of the legend of Lycona, who he angered Zeus by feeding the god, Zeus, uh, the remains of a sacrificed boy. So to punish him, he turned him and all the males of his family into wolves. And then, of course, there's the Nordic legends, which is the saga of Valsungs, which is about a father and son who are wearing wolf pelts and they can turn themselves into wolves. When they wear these wolf pelts and they're in the form of the wolf, they go on a killing spree and they kill a bunch of people and the father ends up accidentally killing the son, but then a raven, Odin, Ooh. saves him by giving him a leaf to bring him back to life. But what's also really interesting is that there are actually a lot of infamous werewolves, and this is actually in the form of serial killers. Because in the... 
16th to the 15th century, there was a lot of belief that some of the heinous crimes that were committed by some of these men could only be done by a horrific beast. So there had to be a werewolf. So in 1521, we have the Frenchman Pierre Bergot and Michael Verdun, both men who claimed to swear allegiance to the devil and claimed that they put an ointment on themselves to turn them into wolves. And these men brutally murdered several children and both were burned at the stake. There was also Giles uh, Garnier, who was called the Wolf of Dole. He was a 16th century Frenchman. A lot of this happens in France. He was also <laughs> claimed that he had an ointment that gave him wolf morphing abilities and he visually killed and ate children. He was also burned at the stake. And then, of course, there is Peter Stubb, the Bedberg werewolf. He was a 15th century wealthy farmer in Germany and he claimed that he wore an enchanted belt that turned him into a wolf-like creature. He was blamed for several deaths of animals, men, women, and children, and he was grisly executed by a bunch of hunters. But because of the heinous acts of those crimes, people only believed that an actual beast could do such things. That's the werewolf. So really, I could go on a whole podcast talk about the legends of the werewolf, but I won't. But from these legends and from the folklore, we get a lot of metaphors about the werewolf. A lot of these metaphors revolve around the sexual element of werewolves, so this hyper-masculinity that he's, he's a man, he's very muscular, and he's hairy, and he's violent, and that typically a man will become a werewolf is because of excess. He's either been too rough, or he's a sexual deviant, and he has many relationships with women, so being turned into a werewolf is his punishment for his, you know, doing everything he's done bad. There's also the idea of the struggle of lycanthropy, which is uh, being turned into a werewolf, and that it's man's primitive nature, and becoming a werewolf is to have your primal instincts take over you. We are also seeing lots of parallels between lycanthropy and puberty, so the physical transformation of the body. Also, when it comes to female werewolves, menstruation in regards to women with a regular monthly cycle and the impact of the moon. And then, of course, there's always, since the werewolf virus can be passed on by a bite, there's also the metaphor of contagious disease as well as sexually transmitted diseases. So that is a little brief thing about the werewolf, a little brief history about the legends and the folklore and the metaphors that come from these that inform a lot of the films that we see in a lot of the conversation that comes out about the werewolf these days. Excellent. I guess we'll get into our first film and our first bit of discussion. And the first film we're going to talk about is The Wolfman from 1941. Is that the way Jenny Williams was killed? Yes. Find something? Animal tracks. Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. My story about the Wolfman is I used to poo-poo on (laughs) old classic black and white horror movies. So this is going back like 15 plus years ago. Mm. I have matured since then. Yeah. Um, But uh, for no real reason, I can't really, I just, you know, I just wasn't really interested in in, in watching them and didn't find them all that interesting. Again, this is like many, many years ago. And then only about seven years ago did I finally see all of the original classic Universal monster movies, Mm -hmm. besides Dracula, because in high school I did a project on Dracula from 1931. 
Oh, nice. Or 32. Okay. So I've seen that one multiple times, but the rest of them, like Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, The Mummy, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Bride of Frankenstein, and The Wolfman, finally, about seven years ago, uh, I was I watched them for the first time. And now I find old classic black and white movies so very beautiful and somehow romantic and lovely <laughs> to watch. So there's so many movies I still have to catch up on. <laughs> that is so great. I love how you're like, yeah, it's beautiful. Like old stool horror movies are so romantic. Those are our romantic yeah. movies. Those are our romance <laughs> movies these days. Mm. Um, my story is very brief. I've always, as everyone knows, I enjoy classic horror. And so, of course, when I started getting into my horror journey, the first things I would do is watch the Universal mm-hmm. Monsters. So it was really nice being able to revisit this film for me because it had been so long since I last seen it. Yeah, it's funny. that Our journeys are different. I'm now watching and going back to the origins of horror and that's where you started yeah which we've talked about but yeah i love that i love that because just different perspectives what do you like about the wolfman what i like about the wolfman is that a it is short and sweet which is nice (laughs) oh my god (laughs) watching these old classic horror movies when they're an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 15 minute long oh i yearn for the days of old because folks these two and a half hour horror movies they're not for me oh my god right so yeah (laughs) i agree with that short sweet it just gets into the story and gets to the end of it and, and it's ends. great <laughs> i just love old black and white horror films because they really bring me back to a time where just you know a lot of times like the horror was about the story and about not necessarily always about the effects like because you know the effects of the original wolfman are not that great but they were great for the time period obviously seeing his transformation mm-hmm. But I enjoy the story of how I bring how they were able to bring together the legend of the werewolf to the silver screen, and we'll talk later about how the Wolfman actually informed a lot of the beliefs around the werewolf about uh, certain elements. You know that silver can injure them, and that wolfsbane is a, a product that can you know tell you if there's a werewolf about. So I definitely like mm-hmm. that. I like the score uh, to it. It's nice and calming relaxing for, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for a horror movie. I like the acting is actually really well done in this. Like everyone does a good job yeah. in the sense of what they're doing. And I really like these old school actors. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I, you don't hear about these people anymore. And I always wonder, like, because, you know, when you read about the history about this film, you know, how there was conflict between Gwen and Larry Talbot, the two actors who play together, because, like, Gwen got Larry's uh, change room because he was too loud or something like that. And the studio's like, no, 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 right? So it was interesting. So, yeah, that's what I like. I just like these films. That's totally fair. Yes, I, I agree on the length. I agree on the acting. Everybody is is just so, so good. And I just, I just love how classy yeah. these movies are. Everyone looks great. Everything looks great. Yeah, I think uh, so much of the acting in a lot of these old movies are, are so fantastic. So I also agree with that. Classic black and white, old horror film origin of so many of our beloved films now. The transformation, yes, at the time was like revolutionary, but I personally still think it looks really good. Like it's mm, really, okay. really neat and in how they they did that. For 1941, I think it's fantastic. And and of course he's more of like a man wolf. Yes. Less of a wolf man, because he's more of like a humanoid style uh werewolf. 
Well, I like that. He's like the two-legged, the upright uh, werewolf. Uh, and I like the folklore of it. I like that it's like a very supernatural kind of tale. Yeah. And there's, you know, stories and tales to go along with it. So I really, I did really enjoy that. It's just, this has like this classy, spooky vibe to it. Yeah. And like when they go out into the forest, it's all, there's some atmospheric elements to it. So yeah, I think they're just so well done for like the little money and access to stuff that they had at the time. I think they can just do so much with so little. I guess what I'm trying to say. So I like that a lot about it too. How about dislikes? My dislikes for me, there's not a lot because I really like these films and I have kind of like, they're close to my heart in a way. I I don't dislike a lot about them, but obviously looking back at a lens from today, The use of the term gypsy uh, makes me cringe when I watch it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is not great. We don't use this term anymore. There was inconsistency between Larry becoming a werewolf and I think it was Bella or the the first gentleman who's uh, be, was like the original werewolf because like he's oh, a, yes. when you see him he's an actual dog like he's you know and end up finding out that that's actually Larry the um, Lou Chaney's right. dog on who came on a set but like <laughs> so it's kind of like okay so he's an actual wolf man and then like he's an actual wolf and Larry Tablet is the wolf right. man um, right. Yeah. Saving money. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> it was interesting, too, because the um, actor who played, sorry, the male gypsy, I can't remember, Bella uh, Bella Lugosi? Yeah, exactly. It was Bella Lugosi. Yeah. So, because he wanted to be the wolf man, but everyone's like, no, no, we want Lou Channing to be the wolf man. So, yeah. there is very little that I dislike, except for some of the inconsistencies and mm-hmm. maybe the creepy scene of him watching Glenn with the with the telescope and then, oh, like, going God. to, and then going to the shop and being oh. like, well, I want the earrings that you know that are on your cap yeah, on yes. your dresser drawer. What? What? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. So my only dislike is that Larry Talbot is a fucking creeposaurus. Yes. So yes. I didn't realize this the first time I watched it. Maybe just because it's been such a long time. But holy moly, yeah, that part I just sat up and like, what is happening? And she takes it with such class and grace because, well, that's what women definitely would do at that time period. They would just think that, yeah, maybe that's creepy and I'm uncomfortable. But you know, he's a gentleman, and this is how I'm supposed to react to to men and their persistence and everything. But uh, like he's like, like not. Ugh. Yeah, like he's not a gentleman at all because like he's. So so persistent he's like i'm gonna pick you up at eight i'll pick you up mm-hmm. at eight and she's like she's saying no no mm-hmm. and so like yeah mm-hmm. okay so when i think of something i don't like is i don't understand the relationship between gwen and larry because mm-hmm. she's engaged and she's clearly yep. in love with the man that she's with yeah but yet there's this weird yep. thing between larry and yep. gwen i'm like why i don't understand <laughs> yeah i don't understand that either that uh, that relationship and why she is shown to be so oddly drawn to him yeah. And, you know, yeah, he's saying, I'll pick you up at age. She's like, nope, nope. And then she has plans because that's, you know, no. And she just invites him along anyways. Like, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's a really weird thing. And then they end up being alone together. And I just think, like, what are you doing? He's such a creeposaurus. I did not understand that. Of course, when the, you know, the poor thing happens with uh, Gwen's friend being uh, murdered by the wolf in the first place, everyone goes and blames her. Oh, because she was out there and, you know, like the whole, when the old ladies uh, run into the shop there and accost like her father and being like, it's all her oh, yeah. fault and da da da. And how the old man's like, look, she can live her own life. Like, get out of here. Get out of my store. And I was like, good for you, man. Sticking up for your daughter. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Move on to talking about masculinity and the werewolf or our man wolf. Right. 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 
that, you know, talking about werewolves is essentially the duality of man. Mm, of yeah. men. So our werewolves, our male werewolves anyways, because that's what we're talking about, our wolf man or our man wolf are something kind of like you brought up in the legends of, of werewolves. They're hyper masculine. They're excessively masculine. Like they're big and they're strong and they're gruff and they're violent and they're extra super hairy. Mm-hmm. AKA super hot. And (laughs) (laughs) our wolfman, talking about Larry Talbot, he's our wolfman. And so our our werewolves can represent a variety of things like Jess was talking about, like you were talking about press sexual urges and primitive urges, sexual aggressiveness. And we see, uh, yeah, we'll get into Larry being a creep, but he's really assertive. Yes. He's very handsome, that Lon Chaney too. He's a very handsome man, very big. So he would be very disconcerting to be that persistent. Anyways, back to him being such a creep. (laughs) (laughs) Very assertive. But I feel like our wolfman, which we see later on, is actually the the element of maybe masculinity or our werewolf, our wolfman, that actually takes her physically by force. I don't think Larry Talbot would have done that himself, even though he was a bit of a creep and probably made her very uncomfortable. I don't think he ever would have physically harmed her in a way. And he acts really jealous when she when he finds out that she's engaged. Though, man, he just met her. Yeah. <laughs> but he's just like all of a sudden just like enamored by her and he gets really jealous, which in it that in itself is a very jealousy is normal. And we've kind of talked about that before on on the podcast, but it's really all in how you express your your jealousy and jealousy and underneath all that there's there's insecurities but um what i thought was really interesting is Larry Talbot's father forgive me I don't remember his name but he berates him a lot about the superstitions of the werewolf like quote she's been filling your mind with this gibberish this talk of werewolves and pentagrams you're not a child Larry you're a grown man and essentially like Larry act like a man yes that kind of brings us to this element of Jess and I read sections of this book called Gender and Werewolf Cinema by Jason Barr, which is a really cool book, by the way. That was definitely one that I would like to get. Yeah. But about tragic masculinity. And it was talking about how masculinity is can be seen as a tragic flaw and how men are try- always trying to find a balance and how to quote unquote be masculine. And I really feel like just like women have like these social expectations of our gender roles and like we have to perform as feminine and like how do we perform properly as a woman that men feel the same way. It's like, how do you be a man and like, how do you act masculine and like, what does that mean? And often in these werewolf films, the the figure dies at the end. You know, Larry Talbot dies at the end. When we get into dog soldiers, a lot of those men die at the end. There is that one soldier that's bitten, becomes a werewolf, but he sacrifices himself to to kill all the other werewolves. Oh, yeah. Captain Weber or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrifying. But like, he's horrified to become a werewolf. But, you know, they, they sacrifice themselves. I do think that men struggle with this box. Women are put into boxes. And I think men are also put into these boxes. And there's these traditional kind of social roles of masculinity and they just box in men. So Kelly brings up this really interesting point about the box that men are put into box and when I really think about this film in its context it was filmed in 1941 
what was happening in 1941? Well, we're this is when we're going to see the U.S. enter into the Second World War. So production of The Wolfman mm-hmm. took place over three weeks in November, and it wrapped up uh, days before the December 7th attack on Pearl Harbor. So this film was filmed in the really early stages of World War II, and the, really they wanted to focus on the legend of The Wolfman. They wanted mm-hmm. to make the story completely fictional and distract people from the actual real horrors of war and, and have the fact that they have to go overseas. This is quite important because at this time, masculinity is put into question as well because men are going to be forced to enlist to go overseas Mm -hmm. and to fight for their nation's freedom and that's an expectation on men like there is going to be this expectation for you to exert your masculinity by fighting for your country Mm -hmm. so what's really interesting is that what the studios wanted to focus on at the time of this film is they really wanted to look at the legend they wanted to look at the father-son relationship which i think is so interesting because even though we look at we're meant to think that this film is a certain is based around Larry and the relationship he has with Gwen, but really it's mm-hmm. this relationship with him and his father because he comes back to his ancestral home after 18 years in the U.S., comes back to England, mm-hmm. and he's meant to take over his father's estate because his, his uh, brother passed away. And you can see that yeah. his father's trying to mend his relationship with his son, but he's also having this issue with uh, struggling with the fact that when Larry starts to exhibit these issues of you know mental illness, is what his father calls it, and the struggle. Yeah that he's having you know he's he's trying to focus on rebuilding that bond and at the end we see of course at the end of the film that in the end it's his father who ends up killing him and realizing that Larry was right all along so yeah. this film has a very strong sense of duality that men uh, are when they're put into these boxes it's either you're either good or you're evil you're either mm. tender or you're violent and this is all under yeah. Larry Tablet's surface and what I thought was really interesting is that this film was written by a Jewish man of Polish descent and who lived in in Germany and he felt the same pressures from his own father. He was pressured by his father to get a degree in engineering, mathematics, but he really wanted yeah. to be a writer and a journalist and he got really involved in the German film industry but just left just before the rise of Nazism in 1937. So he feels, and a lot of people feel like this film is all about men being forced into fate or destiny that they don't want. They're they're put in a box, and like we said in the beginning yeah. of the film, the way Larry starts out is that his masculinity is put into question when he has to go back to his ancestral home and become his father's heir and to be the yeah. man that his father wants him to be to be able to take over and watch over this village. And then you get uh, Lon Chaney when he said he really enjoyed playing the role of the Wolfman because he really regarded him as a tragic figure. Back to Kelly's point about Trasky. Mm-hmm. Masculinity, right? That mm-hmm. sometimes uh, there is periods of sanity for Larry. Like he didn't want to hurt anyone, and he would do whatever he could to avoid yeah. the horrible yep. consequences of his curse. Like he even tells his father, yep. "Please tie me up. Don't yep. don't leave yep. my sight. Like you have to understand. Like this, yeah. I'm going to hurt someone." But no one understands them. They just think that. And even interesting too, his father tries to hide his potential mental illness from the police. Right? Him, the father, mm-hmm. and the doctor really like stay away from him. He's fine, right? Yeah. Because if any, if so, if, if Larry is put away in some kind of mental institution there is no heir to his father's um, uh, on his land and that's a huge pressure on men as well so Uh which is interesting is this whole idea of like and especially when we compare it to dog soldiers I didn't really think about this link until we started talking about it I was like oh wait a second this film was formed you know filmed just before the world war and then dog soldiers all about military you know yeah militarism and the idea of being a man you have to be this way but what's really interesting is that we're going to see when it comes to masculinity that the way the Wolfman is filmed and the things that are made up in this film about the legend of the werewolf like being it the werewolf bites you you become a werewolf you transform at night it's linked to the full moon and the only cure is death and nothing in the world will keep you from attacking people like a lot of this comes from this film you killed the wolf well there's no crime in that is there 
the wolf was baying on. You think I don't know the difference between a wolf and a man? Bela became a wolf, and you killed him. A werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet, or a silver knife, or a stick with a silver handle. You're insane. I tell you I killed a wolf, a plain, ordinary wolf. Take this charm, the pentagram, the sign of the wolf. It can break the evil spell. Evil spell? Pentagram, wolfbane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm going to get out of here. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, quit handing me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Wear this charm over your heart always. All right, all right, I'll take it. What's it worth to you? I'll give you... Do you dare to show me the wound? What? Do you dare to show me the wound? Go now. And heaven help you. The victims of lycanthropy, you know, sometimes they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Things just yeah. happen. And then, like, the situation turns tragic. The male werewolf is most often a tragic figure. And what's really scary for them, because men are supposed to have everything, like, in line, in check. They have to know, like, what they're doing with their life at all times. Yep. Can't have these questions. Like, they just have to, like, yeah, they have to have such confidence. And if you show a lack of confidence, then you're definitely definitely weak and got a man up quote unquote yeah. so the the losing of your like agency and the control of your life is tragic and of course if you're a werewolf <laughs> that will that will worsen it and heighten it and so you mentioned you know uh, we talk about how they die almost like always, always at the end of these film that you have to be cleansed of the curse or if you think of it in a different way you have to reject the hegemonic toxic masculinity and embrace your destruction so essentially you just have to you have to die in order to remove yourself from that kind of social expectation. Of course, it's a horror movie and these films are much more dramatic than in <laughs> yeah. real life, but that's kind of, that's, I think, showing what these men have to do. And there's even a line in the movie, might have been Gwen who said it, but I think it was a woman that said it, that there's something tragic about that man, yes. you know? And there is something just like deeply unsettling about him. There's something going on. And you're right. I, you know, reading about this, it focused a lot on the relationship between Larry and his father and you, I think you're totally right that it's much less about Gwen because I feel like that relationship is pretty much like non-existent yeah. <laughs> like I don't get it either like they try to make that kind of be romantic but it's not really about them at all we don't really know anything about her but yeah it's kind of more focused on uh, the father and the son and there's one way of looking at it I remember reading about is about Larry or our wolfman losing his masculinity okay. and I are like being emasculated by his father and all the things that you were talking about, like hiding yeah. him away, kind of putting him down, kind of making fun of him. Again, going back to that, it's like she's filling her mind with this gibberish, like just like this is nonsense. Like this is all superstition, like not even taking anything he's saying seriously because he's just like, no, you're being weakened by this woman. Yeah. But another way of looking at it for me is that it's also or alternatively about enhancing your masculinity. And that's where our male werewolves come into it, that becoming more masculine and 
order to get control of your life, in order to take what you want and be assertive in like a fully rounded out way. Obviously, there's tragic consequences to doing that. Right. And then we even see that in our day to day lives in hum- as human beings, wars, famine, pandemics, <laughs> it's like things not being handled appropriately because maybe you have embraced this the werewolf side. Yeah. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. Not that werewolves are real. <laughs> well, there are some medical conditions that they people relate to being a werewolf, but we're not going to go into that. No. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night, may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. So the subject matter and the name of this episode is the beast within. The beast within ourselves, within human beings, that the animality of human beings, we can see this as tragic, evil, our, a source of unchecked violence, or if you want to look at it a bit more positively, it's a healthy integration of our animal and human natures, if we want to separate those two, and it's often separated Because humans are animals, which we really like to forget. And werewolves really just because they can show the conflict between our instinctual urges and rational behavior. So our like sexuality and our some violence and, and anger and intense emotions that we might feel. And then trying to balance that out with our rational, critical thinking mind that some of us have anyways, like between our human side, animal side and civilized or primitive side, let's say. I, you know, I think it's really interesting because we see a transformation when it comes to werewolf lore. And I think with the Wolfman, we see the beast within or the werewolf or the wolf man being humanized so Mm -hmm. because we're giving like this human characteristic we spend a lot of time focusing on larry as an individual not necessarily larry as the wolf man he comes out and he's primal and he's Mm -hmm. he'll kill people but he move on but then we start to see this this move away and we start to see almost like a dehumanization of the wolf man and and this is because a very common thread is that werewolves are dangerous They're cunning. Mm -hmm. They're evil. And they are used to inspire fear and dread in people. So historian Gail Betterman talks about how during the first part of the 20th century, middle class white men began valuing a mixture of civilized manhood and rough masculinity. I like that term, rough masculinity, which was believed to be inherent to all men. Quote, true manhood involved a primal virility, which is called the masculine primitive. And the beast in men, as we often see, is expressed through violence. Hmm. What was interesting, just another quote from from the movie. So many wonderful lines, actually, in that movie. It was so beautiful. So we have Larry Talbot thinking he's a werewolf and like things are happening. And his father, who's very pragmatic. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, thought it was a mental state. But he also talked about the dual personality of all of us. And his father also says anything can happen to a man in his own mind, which, again, talking about the duality of men, the duality of human beings. He was understanding that if you get wrapped up in what's going on, in your own head it could bring out maybe inappropriate but also maybe suppressed feelings you know something along those lines there's a better word that i'm thinking of but i can't i can't find it right now like like the subconscious inside you or like that yeah 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 for sure exactly well i guess like back in the day you would have considered that as an evil intent right and so really Mm. when we're looking at the werewolf we're seeing someone who has some evil in them that's allowing them to take shape in the form of the beast in the form Mm. of the of the werewolf and that's and so this is where we see like this physical transformation versus 
this mental illness in as a theme in the Wolfman. Like you said with Larry, mm-hmm. he actually experiences a real physical transformation of his dual nature. Whereas his father mm-hmm. is like, no, 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 your dual nature it it, it already it, it exists within. It's all in your mind. It's not real. You're not really turning into an evil person. Because, yeah, maybe his intentions with Gwen weren't pure. And maybe the man, the beast within, was coming out. And so that, and you know, because we see at that final scene, he's like, he grabs Gwen aggressively. So it's like, okay, that would make sense. But then it's also that question of like, well, is this really mental illness? Is he, you know, almost kind of like, this is a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but But we do experience that where men have to really suppress a lot of urges and they have to suppress a lot of their feelings on top of that too which can also be kind of inspired dangerous situations and allowing this idea of the beast within coming forth and just being violent and taking charge yeah and becoming terrible which got me thinking and I have a question written down here for myself as just like rhetorical we can definitely talk about it but werewolf films when they have males as protagonists maybe these films are meant as a warning Mm. both to men and women of toxic masculinity and being this like masculine primitive but in like a very negative way maybe these are a warning so if you act a certain way and you feel like this is uh, an appropriate way to conduct yourself that this is what can happen you literally turn into a monster i don't yeah i could definitely see that word question so yeah i guess like your question is like are werewolves monsters and I think we can answer that question yes and no. I think cinema has portrayed werewolves as monsters over the years. And I think that comes down to a fear that people have had about just a werewolf in general. Like I know a lot of our um, colonization led to a lot of fears of people fearing werewolf and werewolf legends because they see them as hostile forces. People who are mm-hmm. typically werewolves are outcasts of the deviants of the misfits who preyed on the humans. And so they're very uncivilized and untamed. And mm-hmm. it's really in the Middle Ages where we see the wolf going from being, and it was interesting because the wolf was a typically seen as a, a symbol of like leadership. But then over the mm-hmm. years, it changed to a scene being a symbol of destruction, a bloody force. It's typically wolves are in league with Satan and witches, mm-hmm. as always, because witches would have werewolf familiars. <laughs> it always comes um, down to witches, folks, as you always. can tell. <laughs> Satan and witches, always. every time. But also, too, seeing the werewolf, as Kelly was saying, like the werewolf is a projection of the animals, the things that animals do that we find unacceptable by humans. And almost mm-hmm. like a taboo human behavior that beast that exists within us and that needs to be tamed. Um, and mm-hmm. as like Kelly was talking about the beast within, it's really a tragic figure and it's all about unchecked violence mm-hmm. and how one, if we don't handle our animal urges, what's going to happen and how that's going to come out in um, society and how we interact with people. And I think over the years, we've seen the horror genre take the werewolf legend and make it very monstrous and grotesque because we see the werewolf as this alien threat to our complete social collective. And at the end of the day, the inside feelings, especially for men, are grotesque task and they're a threat and this is why apparently men are not supposed to deal with their feelings and this is where we get come into toxic masculinity territory. I personally have always been uncomfortable with calling werewolves monsters. Okay. Yeah. I know that they're always thrown into like the classic monster movies and universal monsters. Mm. And, but like pending which film 
or book your reading, like film you're watching, book your reading, and the lore behind the lycanthropy in it, these people are, quote unquote, monsters only a couple of days out of the month. And that's always that thing. And they talk a lot about it in Buffy, actually, yeah. because <laughs> when we have that poacher come in and he wants to kill him, he's like, he's only, well, three days of the month. Like, this is a human being. Is he a monster? No. Oz is, you know, and Larry throughout every other day is a yeah. human man. Like, they're not terrible people. And just because they turn into a wolf man or a man wolf or a werewolf like wolf creature does that make them a monster are they a monster only in that period of time but they don't ever really make that explicit so I've personally just always felt uncomfortable with calling werewolves monsters because I just don't think they are I think they have an affliction that affects them a couple of times a month and if you watch bad moon right just nightly it's, it has nothing to do with the full moon. It's just like anytime yeah. it's nighttime, he does turn into it. Like that would be intense. But are they just monstrous because they kill people? Are they monsters just because they turn into like a hybrid animal? Like I just never really felt comfortable with that. Or in the words of Veruca from Buffy season four, are you a wolf three days of the month or are you the wolf all the time? Well, I was just going to bring up like this interesting, as you were talking, I was thinking about this point. I was like, okay, well, yeah, we don't see them. They turn into the wolf only so many days of the the month or whenever some of them can transform whenever they want to but is yeah. it are they monstrous uh, in that form or is it are they monstrous when they start using their werewolf abilities and their human form right so i'm mm-hmm. thinking of the film with uh, jack nicholson i think it's wolf, wolf. yep where, yep. you know, he goes from being a very timid man and yep. all of a sudden as he gets bitten, he starts changing, becomes very confident. He, you know, yep. he pees on someone as in his man form, <laughs> right? And yeah. he's, he won't take, you know, yeah. he's going after missions, like he won't take bullshit anymore. So is that monstrous? Yep. Like all of a sudden, like you yep. gain all this confidence, you gain these special abilities and now you're using them yeah. to your advantage. You're no longer the man you used to be. You are this man now yeah. because of this ability, because you're connected to the supernatural element of the werewolf. You have these new mm-hmm. animal-like abilities. Once again, is it some tapping into human nature that makes us monstrous. The great debate rages on. And then there's that talking about monsters and you, you briefly talked about the humanizing is monsters, but like you have the different werewolf movies that like dog soldiers where they mm. have no, there's no like human faces to them. There's no humanity. You see they're very animal-like quote unquote. They're yeah. very wolf-like, which is why they're like more wolf men, you know, than there's the man wolves. Yeah. And then you do have the werewolf films like the Wolfman that does focus a bit more on the humanity, the transformation, but they look more humanoid. And the very first werewolf film I ever saw, it's the Monster Squad. And that's not <laughs> yes. explicitly only a werewolf film, yeah, but yeah. like that was my first werewolf experience. And he is more of like a man wolf wolf upright mm. so very humanoid you see the transformation and again another tragic figure so for me this is like i don't think that man was a monster when he was turned into a werewolf he was not great but as like a grand scale of things yeah i don't think i just don't think that they're monstrous but i like the variation in the in i was gonna say monster movies that's terrible (laughs) (laughs) in the werewolf movies though like there's some that yeah like the wolfman that focuses more on the transformation into an animal and the humanity aspect than dog soldiers it's all about the animality yeah i think it's interesting before we move on to that i Mm -hmm. wanted to bring up how different genres 
genres handle the werewolf legend differently or handle werewolves mm-hmm. differently. So I feel in yeah. like the horror genre, we go between humanization, dehumanizing them, monsterness. But in the fantasy genre, typically yeah. whenever werewolves appear, they are tragic figures. They are people who are cursed and having to, have had to live trying to figure out how to be this wolf man or how to be this um, individual. And they're typically, you know, they fight battles and they're pretty good people. Or they, so they don't necessarily right. monster eye. Fantasy genre doesn't make the monster the werewolf. Yeah, they just end up having really great superhuman strength yeah. and animal keen senses and, and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it is really interesting. Run with other wolves and like have like whole yeah. wolf packs come to them and stuff like that. So <laughs> Totally. You know what? And thinking about that, interesting enough, when I used to read a lot of Laurel K. Hamilton, mm. those werewolves were very much like that. Exactly. And yeah, that is a fantasy genre. And I totally forgot all about Laurel K. Hamilton until really right now. But uh, yeah, those werewolves are just like that. They run in packs. I wouldn't call them monsters. Mm-hmm. You know, they just have those kind of abilities. They're shapeshifters and they just have the d- ability to do that. And you can use your power for good or you can use your power for bad. Just like you men, men, you can use your power for good or you can use your power for bad because of our wonderful element to men yeah. that make them who they are and they should be able to express themselves appropriately like a human being. Exactly. All right. We okay to move on to dog soldiers? Yes, let's do this. One of the most explosive, brutal, and purely enjoyable horror debuts since the Evil Dead. Genuinely frightening. Jaws, Aliens, and Predator with a werewolf twist. Come on! Absolutely brilliant, thrilling, exciting, scary. I don't scare that easy. And funny. I'm sold. A horror film with bite. You are. Sold! I'm in the closet! A bitch of a werewolf movie. Wait, Dog soldiers. It'll blow your house down. Okay, for me, this was a first time watch. I have for many, many years heard about dog soldiers when it comes to werewolf films. Oddly enough, like werewolf films are, it's kind of like a weak point in my horror fandom. There's many of them that I just have not seen. And um, this past month, it was great to watch Dog Soldiers for the first time. And I watched Bad Moon for the first time. I think that was really the only two that were new to me that that I was able to watch. But I was really happy to, to finally watch it. And so what's really wonderful about the podcast is like, it just gives you a chance to explore new films and talk about films and re- revisit films that you love so I was more than happy to watch same with me this was a first time watch as well and I agree I'm with Kelly kind of mm-hmm. on the same boat like while I seem to know a lot about werewolves I actually <laughs> don't it is actually like kind of a weak point <laughs> in my supernatural fantasy mm. horror world I am more up to speed on ghosts and vampires and witches but yeah. not werewolves so <laughs> it was definitely like a new one for me like I had heard it multiple times and people were like you should watch dog soldiers you should watch dog soldiers but now yeah. I finally watched it so first time time watch i'm yeah i'm like you we're both big vampire nuts right yeah, like yeah. watching reading like that was always my go-to for my entire adult life i love vampires and i'm i can't wait to revisit vampires <laughs> for the podcast but yeah vampires is always like my top okay yeah let's get into this what did you like about dogs i 
don't like too much about it. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I did like about it, the last 20 minutes of getting to see the werewolf, I was like, yes, great. They did. They definitely went with the route with less is more. I like that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised of how the werewolves looked at the end of the film. I thought there was going to be a, a, I thought they were going to look a little scarier to me, but I guess in terms of practical effects, that's great. But I'm apparently have put myself out there as I like CGI werewolves. <laughs> so like more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, you definitely outed yourself on that one. I did. I totally did. So, um, yeah, um, there's not much I liked about this film in the sense that I do like how they portrayed the dehumanization of the werewolf and how we will get into the whole concept of masculinity and how that's treated throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the fact that we finally have a final boy we'll, we'll get into, but yeah, that was yeah. pretty much it. I didn't like it. All right. Well, at least you watched it, right? I did. Yes. For me, I liked a bunch of things. I love the werewolf design. So this has now turned into my favorite werewolf design. It would be nicer if they were like hairier on their body. It was just like they were very sleek, but like the heads were beautiful. And I swear, I think I read at some point this very well could be wrong. I did not look it up, but like they're on, I don't know. I think there might be on stilts or something. Like they're very tall. Unless I have very tall actors in there, but I loved them. I like you. I liked a little bit less is more until the end. I love the werewolf point of view shot. I like the gore and the bloody graphicness of of the movie. Like the part, so good. The part where one of the soldiers has like his intestines coming out and the guy's like trying to put them back in. I'm like, well, that's essentially what you would do, honestly. Like that's all (laughs) dirty now, but you just got to shove that shit back in and then like just tape it up. Just tape it up, man. (laughs) So I liked how like an aspect of that was actually very realistic and authentic. Fair enough. But I loved, I loved how bloody and gory it was. That was really great. But also it didn't scare me. I don't find werewolves scary, but I could see this movie being scary to some, like especially in the beginning the end less so but like the beginning when they're like chasing after them in the woods and you're going between like seeing the men and seeing the werewolf like point of view shot the like the black and white that's spooky being chased in the woods is scary Mm -hmm. to me I did really like the storyline so we have the wolfman which is like a supernatural werewolf tale and this is like biological werewolves which is like a really cool thing that could be talked about separately but I liked that element the diversity of that I thought the acting was fantastic there's a handful of recognizable actors in there and I thought everybody was so great. And also the opening scene was just really great. Really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Hand coming in, blood and guts. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, and I guess I Open up this movie. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess I'd remember typically with werewolf films, there is going to be a lot of blood and guts because they're essentially beasts. They're ripping things apart. They're, you know, obviously... (laughs) Packing and slashing. Packing and slashing. Obviously, I did not like the fact that that guy Ryan killed a dog in the beginning of the bit. I'm like, oh, Oh, no. No. Yeah. So then, of course, like I had like a whole time when they're in that house, I'm like so paranoid for the dog. I'd be like, get the dog away from that man. He's gonna. And like he almost tried to kill the dog the one time. I was yep. like, you, yep. you asked. I was, I was like, like, is it gonna happen again? Come uh, on. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. In terms of my like my dislike was the fact that it just felt like a made for TV movie, and I just maybe I couldn't get oh, that out of my head at times, where I was just like, this feels really, in terms of the quality, really grainy and very mm-hmm. made for TV and. Just like some elements of the music I just didn't like and I just didn't like I just didn't enjoy it as a film and for some reason Mm -hmm. like I'm actually glad that I read an article prior to actually watching the film because Mm -hmm. the article helped me to know what was going to happen because there are elements in the film that I was watching that happened so quickly that I'm like okay what's going on what yeah I I understand that so I'm glad that I read an article that kind of went into detail about certain scenes in the movie I was like because I didn't know it was these wolves werewolves were created biologically until like Mm -hmm. you mentioned it and then another 
article mentioned, I was like, huh, didn't even catch that. I just thought that these were just like werewolves that were yeah. living in these woods, and whenever people came around, they just killed them. <laughs> like, what are these? Is this like the inbred cannibals that live in the forest? Like, what? They just live in the forest, and if people come around, they kill them. Yeah. And Hills like, have eyes? Come on. Yeah. And then, like, the special ops, like, I thought, like, the special yeah. ops team was there to capture them. But yeah, I know they were there to capture them, but I thought, like, these were only werewolves living in these woods, and the special ops team was there to capture them, and they're using the other regular team as like the bait to go running around so that they were like okay well but I didn't realize that these are wolves that escaped a special weapons place and so yeah yeah I I can definitely see that because there was a moment where I think I stopped paying attention for whatever reason for maybe like a minute and then afterwards it's like wait what what just what what was actually happening near the end a little bit yeah (laughs) so yeah so I could totally get that for me the pacing was a yeah so so a little bit of that like the pacing was a little bit also it could have been maybe 15 minutes shorter but I will probably say that about almost every movie that I watch unless it's the wolfman and it's an hour and 10 minutes but like it just could have been like a little bit tighter yeah like just some scenes could have just been a little bit shorter than like sitting around the house or just sitting around doing stuff just like it just could have been a little bit tighter and it would have made it feel a little bit more action-packed. So for me, the pacing delayed a little bit. Yeah. So killing the dog, of course. But also, karma? (laughs) You kill a canine and then the canines are going to kill you. Which, you know, at the end of the day, I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate that. So, Um, Okay, so there's one thing I did not understand that you might understand. Why were they afraid of the light? So they were using the camera. Obviously, they got proof because they were taking photos, but this spooked the werewolves. They didn't like the light from the flash of the camera. I think it was just, like, blinding them. So, like, if you take, like, a like a camera and, like, shoot it in my eyes or something like that, you're going to blind me temporarily because the bright light's in my eyes. That's what I thought. Okay. It could be as simple as that. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I could take that. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe there was, like, something within... Like this werewolf lore that oh. made them afraid of the light, because like, but they are also talking about just gotta wait until six a.m. or whatever until a daylight, because then they'll be safe. Which will mean they're no longer werewolves. I guess she's, that's true. Yeah, because yes. she's saying they'll go back to their human form. Then you should be afraid. That makes sense. And then uh, what's the other thing too? Is the inconsistencies with the silver? Because it's so convenient that there's, there's a silver knife found at the end of that movie, and he's able to kill uh, Captain Ryan. Oh yeah, they Ryan. set that. <laughs> but they I'm set like, that up in the beginning. Wait, yeah. the whole time though, these guys are just shooting these werewolves with guns yeah. like they should just kill them like the werewolves are like just gonna come back anyway the bullets do nothing yeah, I agree there were some some odd things about the movie overall ended up really enjoying before we getting into our discussion about dog shoulders we actually have a guest clip from Dr. Allison Pierce who is a writer and critic specializing in horror films she has published four books and collections on horror and regularly collaborates with international genre festivals This year, she is publishing her latest book, Women Make Horror, Filmmaking, Feminism, Genre, and she is serving on the finalist jury panel for Ithra Film Night, the world's most respected competition showcase of new sci-fi, fantasy, action, thriller, and horror films directed by women. And she also wrote a whole chapter about dog soldiers. So this is her input on this film. In 2006, I was a PhD student in the UK working on my thesis on 1930s horror films. While I was doing that, I noticed a conference call come out. This was for a conference called European Nightmares that was taking place in Manchester in the UK in 2006. Now, the problem was with the European Nightmares conference, which was all about horror films, was that it was looking for discussions of European horror. And at that point, my PhD was only on 1930s American cinema, and I really wanted to go to this conference. 
I just finished writing a chapter of my PhD on werewolf films where I'd been looking at the 1935 film Werewolf of London. So I started thinking, well, I want to do something more on werewolf films here. They're, they're a lot of fun and I still have a very close place in my heart for werewolf films even today. So I started casting about to see what had been um, released recently on werewolf films and that was the point where I found Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers is a British horror film that was released in 2002. And once I discovered it was all werewolf films and there were quite a few accents from the, the North East and from Scotland, I thought, yeah, I'm in here. I want to hear about a Geordie soldier who gets eviscerated by a werewolf. This is definitely my kind of thing. So I wrote an abstract for the paper, I submitted it to the conference and got accepted. And then I had to really think about what it was that really drew me in. And there were three main things about dog soldiers that make it really interesting for me. The first thing was there was a female werewolf, which is Megan. And I'm sure anybody listening to this isn't worried about spoilers because it's a whole episode on dog soldiers. So let's all assume we're already fans. So I love that there was a, fe a female werewolf called Megan. This really fit for me with other werewolf films I've been watching at the time. So films like Ginger Snaps from 2000 or the character of Ellie in Cursed from 2005. So for me, I really felt this kind of 2000s vibe around the female werewolf. I mean, there's a long line of things around female sexuality in werewolf films anyway. You know, if we go back to The Howling and um, from 1981 and films like The Company of Wolves, there's big connections between women and werewolf bodies. So I was completely here for that. The second thing, oh, and also that Megan reveals herself at the classical romantic moment. I was like, yes, you be a werewolf and don't get off with Cooper. That is what I'm looking for. The second thing was Cooper as the final girl. So traditionally, the final girl is usually someone who identifies as a woman. And I really like the fact here that um, Macho Cooper goes out, blooded the next morning into the light, but Cooper is a man. So that was a pleasant gender swap for me. But the thing that I like more than anything in the world was the absolute destruction of male bodies in that film. So right from the camping prologue where the couple get attacked, even though it's the woman that's attacked, it's the guy's face that the camera lingers on. It's his blood-spattered face and his fear that the film is interested in. Um, then we have the character Campbell who's impaled on a tree branch. Or Spoonie's amazing fight um, in the kitchen with pots and pans. I think the character of Spoon is probably my favourite. Um, the actor Darren Morphy, I think, really steals the show with Dog Soldiers. Even though he's up against some decent, really decent actors, Darren Morphy takes this home for me, really. And his fight with the pots and pans in the kitchen is my highlight. So it's that idea that all we're doing when we watch Dog Soldiers is watching a load of, like, white, nominally straight guys who are all performing traditional masculinity through swearing and footy and banter just absolutely getting destroyed that's a great pleasure for me 
So when I look back and I think about what drew me to this, all these years later, I mean, if it's 2006, you know, we're talking, what, 14 years later I'm thinking about this. And it's that idea of masculinity as a performance where the whole idea that it is just a masquerade is shown by the way all the male bodies are just opened up on the screen. So masculinity is just a masquerade and the whole film shows the performativity of it. And really watching it is watching these guys through go through a will to submission where they have to give in to the female werewolf and the power and the might of her family. And it's that what makes Dog Soldiers such a truly awesome film. So getting into masculinity and the werewolf or our wolf men, our wolf man, Dr. Pierce was graciously enough to send us her chapter on destroying the male body. It was really interesting. And uh, thank you very much, Dr. Pierce, for giving that blurb to us. It's fascinating. So in Dog Soldiers, and it's a very... It's a very different film than than The Wolfman in really interesting, wonderful little ways. But what we see, because essentially it's an all-male cast, minus the, the one woman, Megan, but we see the fear and death of those on and surrounding the male body. We're watching the destruction of the male body and the emotion of men and their experiences, which is really neat. And we don't often see that. Uh, we like to see a lot of destruction of the female body in horror films. So it was really nice to, to have that. It was kind of a refreshing movie. I found it, yeah, one of my likes would be that I found it really refreshing just in the werewolf genre, but also just as a, as a horror film. Bit of like a direct quote from the, the chapter. Dr. Pierce says, Dog Soldiers does not create horror through the visualization of the monstrous body. Rather, the werewolves are the conduit for trauma of the male body. So we, when the squad is attacked at the end, we are all focused on them dying and fighting back. It's not the werewolves in question that we are focusing on. It's all about these men and their experiences. So it's really neat because it, it shows this dichotomy between how we feel masculinity should be, the male body, and how some of the characters go against the traditional kind of patriarchal, hegemonic idea of the male body as like this construct. So essentially, as big thing that we talk about these days is like gender is a construct, like masculinity and femininity, how much of each do you, you know, express and feel. So in Dog Soldiers, it shows multiple different types of men and their reactions to the unfolding events, which I thought was really, really neat because we have a variety of different types of men here. You have like the one guy who vomits because he's like really put off and like all the guts and the gore and the stress and the fear and he just has a literal vis reaction to it which is very human yeah men are human and they have very human reactions to this i feel like men i was interesting because I, I think one soldier described it as having a very philosophical reaction to the werewolves he's like well mm -hmm. we're gonna die we're gonna die someday might as well die with wolves or something like that right <laughs> die in battle <laughs> exactly right you know you've got the character of i think it's weber who is all about i will do what i can to protect my squad and kind of like be like a father figure to the squad like he gives like a watch to the one of the crew guy to the military one of the guys who had forgotten is be like hey just remember the time like there's all these very different male characters that we see throughout this film there's a lot of a lot of versions of masculinity throughout this film and it's a very male-centric film in the sense that and also which is really interesting that we have these various different portrayals of masculinity in a very hyper masculine film because it's a mm -hmm. like these are all military men and this is a very mm -hmm. different mentality military men have a very different mentality so i think it was really interesting and then we're also connecting it with werewolves yeah the philosophical guy spoon 
Yes. Spoon was his name, his moniker, let's say. <laughs> so he's odd. He's kind of the odd one out. He's not mad at the situation that they're in. He's not like super afraid. He's kind of just, yeah, he's like very fine with it. He's like, all right, well, this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen. It's fine. But he is the one that has the line where he's like being held up by the neck body by the werewolf against the wall. And he's like, dogs. More like pussies. Yeah. And then those, you know, the werewolves kill him and like crashing through everything, tear him to pieces, which kind of brought me on to something. Somebody said this in real life. So language is really important. Terminology is really important. So men who particularly like to say this, that things are pussies, like don't act like a pussy. And there is a gentleman that I know recently that said uh, it was with regards to extreme horror. And he's like, yeah, either like go all in and like don't puss out. And I just I'm really put off by that because folks, pussies can take a pounding. But also we are built to give birth to human babies. Yeah. So vaginas are not weak. Yeah. We are the exact opposite of that. Very strong. Yeah. Pussies are very strong. So I just hate when men say that or anyone, but I feel like there's this difference. And I was thinking about this today for some reason, just pondering about it. But like men think pussies are essentially women are weak. But to me, they're saying that because they're saying something is weak. You know, they're half-assing like this, like give more. Yeah. But I feel like when a woman says that to somebody else, it's because that they believe that the person who they're calling a pussy believes a pussy is weak. And so it's an insult to them to be called it. But we know the truth. Women know the truth. We don't think pussies are weak. Yeah. We just know that you people think they're weak, but they're not. (laughs) I love that. I actually, I really love like what you're just saying about how in a way like yeah a man calls another man a pussy but in reality like no pussies are very strong and they take a lot built for to do a lot of things and so really if someone calls you a pussy be like yeah I am a pussy because I'm strong totally that's gonna we're gonna bring it back we're gonna bring it back yeah (laughs) reclaim the word pussy more like pussies yeah and then they kill him yeah so come on (laughs) yeah exactly exactly he's really interesting but he is also kind of like that exaggeration of masculinity he is like the one of the elements and representations of hyper masculinity like look at me I'm standing up to this like you're the pussy I'm not a mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah. and then also doesn't hurt to say that the men in this film are all white heterosexual dominant alpha figures yeah. are masculine norm so it doesn't hurt as a side note to, to see them trembling with fear and them in these situations and seeing how how they react yeah I think it's interesting that throughout the film we're constantly being reminded that these men are men right in the terms mm-hmm. of the way they talk to each other they talk about sports they talk about family they swear they poke jabs yeah. at one another like you know being very macho yeah well what's interesting and I know Dr. Pierce brings this up in her article and I know it's brought been brought up before in another article that we read. But the question mm-hmm. is, is Dog Soldiers a feminist film? When that was brought up, I thought, well, this is mm-hmm. really interesting, something to look into because mm-hmm. when you watch it, you think, oh, it's very hyper-masculine because they're all military. Mm-hmm. They're all being military. They're all acting like men. And when we think military, we think men. We think hyper-masculinity, we think aggression, all these things. So when I first I heard that question, I was like, really, is it a feminist film? But then I'm watching it and I was like, actually, yes, there are elements of feminism in this film. And for me, it comes up into the character of Cooper. I think it's really interesting in uh, Dr. Pierce's article, she talks about the concept of the final girl trope and the final boy trope. And I mm-hmm. love this. And I'm, honestly, I think this mm-hmm. is something that I really like finding in films. I think I brought it up before. I like the idea of the final boy because we always mm-hmm. have final girls all the time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But when we have a final boy, it's interesting. And so, and when she brings us up, it's like, yes, I could see this in Cooper. He is our protagonist who is fair. He's level-headed and he's very compassionate. And we see this from the mm-hmm. very beginning of the film where he is clearly capable of the skill sets that he would have come brought mm-hmm. to that special ops force. But because he wouldn't kill the dog, because he has moral and ethics, he's deemed unmanly and he's deemed weak. And so mm-hmm. we see throughout the film that he has, um, a lot of men have a lot of respect for his intellect. He does mm-hmm. all the intellecting tasking of the group. He does the map readings, yeah. the analysis. He's a very highly skilled individual. He's mm-hmm. physically strong and he's very capable of looking after himself and all the members of the squad. And at mm-hmm. the end of all that, he ends up being the sole survivor. So once again, yeah. for like the final girl, he had to witness the death of all his friends before him to get to the very end to be the sole survivor of this. Especially too, because like we think, who are the real werewolves and who are the real bad guys in this film? Especially for mm-hmm. Cooper. And it's really not the werewolves that he's fighting up against in the terms of Megan and her family. It's the werewolf Ryan. Because there's still that friction between him. And the very last fight at the mm-hmm. end of the movie is against werewolf Ryan, where he ends up mm-hmm. using that silver knife, our, our phallic yeah. weapon, <laughs> yeah. to yep. reassert his masculinity, especially against the man yep. who demeaned him and told him that he wasn't yep. masculine at the very beginning yep. of the movie. So it's a constant yep. reminder that we get. And so I think that's a very mm-hmm. interesting uh, look at the final boy, because Cooper does have a lot of feminine traits. And we definitely will see that in terms of his mm-hmm. intellect and also turns to his compassion and his attraction mm-hmm. to our female werewolf, Megan. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I love about researching films and, and stuff like that is just different perspectives, different viewpoints and different readings on them. And I also found it really interesting that you know, some folks, and I really thought it was Faculty of Horror, but now I'm thinking that it was a ravenous film because they're ravenous. Also, it's like pretty much an all-male cast, a lot, and could be seen as a feminist film as a lot of feminism or like an introduction of, of men showing, quote, like feminine traits and stuff like that and it being a powerful asset to them. Not weak, it's a powerful aspect to them. So it happens at Dog Soldiers and it's really interesting to see it in that kind of way. So traditionally in, in werewolf films, our werewolves, when they're men, it's uh, we see that there's like a loss or potential loss of a loved one as a result of their quote unquote bestial urges, which we see in the Wolfman. But in Dog Soldiers is different. And what we see besides the aforementioned death and violence against men, but it's essentially perpetrated by a female werewolf. And, you know, up until the end, like they all their machismo, their guns, and their performance of masculinity are no match for this female werewolf and her pack. So it's great because in Dog Soldiers, it shows the female body overthrowing the masculine, you know, the sanctity of the male body. And you bring up the phallic weapon, the final girl, the final boy trope, our phallic weapons, yeah, also as guns, an extension, they all fail these dominant masculine men. So it's interesting because in Dog Soldiers, it kind of changes the landscape of our dominant male figure type, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, nobody can see that but Jess, <laughs> by showing all of our male bodies penetrated, destroyed. Masculinity has been undermined by femininity and these werewolves. So in the end, it's kind of showing us that masculinity, quote, kind of, it's a construct because our traditional forms of masculinity are manly, macho, unfeeling, apathetic men or manly men are quite easily overruled and overtaken by supernatural elements and and werewolves and also a woman. So it's really neat. 
really neat kind of like twist there in in Dog Soldiers that I really enjoyed. Yeah, and I'm not going to add too much on there except for the fact that it's really great to have it revealed at the end that Megan is a werewolf because it puts the classic yeah. trope on its head that typically it's the male who's the werewolf and she, the woman is the victim, but she is now the per- the predator and they're the prey. Yep. And so I think yeah. that was a really interesting aspect that we get in, ter- in our werewolf mythology that to have a woman in her pack hunting them Definitely. down, hunting down yeah. these military men and beating them, pretty much almost wiping them all out. Totally. And what does she say? You think all women are bitches, but I'm the real thing. Touche. Touche. You got it. You're part canine. (laughs) (laughs) An interesting turn of events when we were doing our research, and I ended up getting quite impassioned uh, about this, is werewolves are, there's that classic conflict, like we, we have been talking about this whole thing the duality of man but also some duality of human beings but there's that conflict between our rational human mind and our instinctual urges and our human struggle is often between what's violent and what's peaceful and human beings we have an intense desire for animal flesh as do werewolves and as do wolves not like they eat animals they're they're essentially they're carnivores right and a lot of masculinity is actually wrapped up in meat eating and animal eating and a quote from something that I couldn't tell you right now. I'm so sorry, but it was, and what really stood out to me and I was like, this is, this is interesting. And I want to look into this, but the human and wolf form continues to represent our species carnivorous nature and our staggering propensity for violence. Men are often more so than women, very hesitant or fear veganism or plant-based diet because meat eating is seen as manly and plant eating is seen as the opposite. Meat is masculine. It makes them strong. Whereas plants and emotions are like representative as signs of weakness. And this really struck me. Like I've always known that this was a thing, but what is really interesting and the reason why I kind of got into this that I forgot to mention at first is because Cooper fails to kill that dog. We're going to come back to that. That yes, it doesn't show him as masculine, but he, that is unnecessary violence that you, that is not needed as was, as is animal eating. But that kind of just shows that, you know, yes, he was not as masculine and he was definitely emasculated by his sergeant for, for doing that. And, you know, he was man enough to kill the dog. So, you know, and that's him performing as a masculine man. In marketing for absolute decades, marketing advertising has leaned into like women need a like a restrictive low calorie diet and lifestyle. You're not going to be eating at fast food joints and eating big burgers. And that, that's for a man to do. OK, Burger King has an I am man commercial where a guy sings about not settling for a quote unquote chick food. Yeah, he's going to eat manly meat. Yeah. And a Taco Bell guys love bacon campaign. There are studies that show that that men consume more meat than women and that more vegans are women than men. Yep. And and it's not just the bodies of other people that men are told to oppress and domineer. It's animals too. And apathy, which I brought up a bit earlier, apathy is not okay. That is not a desirable human trait to have, whether it's against our own species or other species. And I thought it was really interesting when you brought up this in our research. You're like, this is really interesting and I want to talk about it because when I started doing looking at the resources that you had provided me with as well, I was like, this is super interesting because... I grew up on a farming community and I grew up with animals being slaughtered on my parents' property and meat was a big thing. 
in the family and mm-hmm. particularly among the men right and at the end of the mm-hmm. day that you don't make friends with salad that whole quote from <laughs> the simpsons right that to yeah. make friends to be strong you need to be you need to eat meat you need to you know you need to be part of the social or i guess the social norm and the, the i'm putting air quotes with the social norm because eating meat has been a long associated with masculinity and the fact that meat and does and meat and being manly come together and that you think of the times when people are you know having barbecues right it's always the men who are out there you know that have to handle the meat and get it all perfect right and the women deal with getting the salads and the sides ready this is how men feel is a way of showing their manliness and even then you have those instances of men standing around a barbecue with their beers right and it's a moment mm-hmm. of bonding between them like oh you're grilling that meat really well there over there right and oh no right <laughs> but it's a it's a question and it made me remind me of this episode of that 70s show where bob's new girlfriend does the barbecue cooking of the meat and red feels like his masculinity is put into question because he's like yes she grilled the meat better than me oh my god like i'm not a man but like you said it brings up this idea of their masculinity is put into question as well as they have they feel like they need to dominate and once again is another uh, idea of like okay well now we've done we were dominating animals because we need to have this meat to make us feel manly and make us feel secure in our masculinity definitely and like the mantra still goes on real men eat meat and those that are vegans or vegetarians are they're always just seen as physically weak even even if they're not just general populace but men particularly just still associate meat eating with dominance power virility however fyi folks not that good for your sexual health (laughs) (laughs) which is interesting that a lot of ads combine meat with heterosexual sex right Mm -hmm. that it's heterosexual men that are eating meat and have all this virility and they are literally like it's all about aggression and strength for sure well and then it comes in that like gay men or other sexual identities are are not strong and that has been also prevalent for for decades i remember there was like a time if some if a man told another man he was vegetarian the question would be like why are you gay yeah yeah because it's just like well then you have feelings and therefore you'd be gay because you have more feminine traits and they're more in tune with their feelings and it's just it's all bad folks (laughs) yeah yeah so if you're vegetarian vegan you're seen as sensitive you're emotional and you have empathy for other creatures that's why you don't eat them but masculinity is all about being stoic you're tough you're apathetic you're emotionless and you're not going to identify with other people and definitely not animals so we have cooper who is again like i said just against unnecessary violence and he just there was there was no need to show his masculinity and his commitment to the cause by killing a dog that actually shows nothing at all because that that's it's just like me when I was in high school and like you know they want you to dissect animals I'm like well this isn't actually necessary to the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean I'm not a good biology student I'm a fantastic biology student did very well that guy Cooper is an excellent very competent soldier even still you know he didn't kill the dog and he's still really good he's still competent he's still excellent and what he does that is not the be all end all but you know you're not supposed to have feelings for animals and I have to say especially when it comes to bodybuilding and strong men mm. and having like fit bodies yeah a lot of men still can't believe and they don't they still can't comprehend that you can get your protein and everything you need to be a big strong man through vegetables <laughs> and beans and stuff you know like it is a thing there are strong men some of the strongest men in the world that are 
plant-based. Well, I think it's interesting that we've, we know we're watching Dog Shoulders and we kind of have this connection to masculinity and the, and, and the ways of eating meat where we're seeing these military aspects and within the military, you're trained to be like a police force. You're also trained to be kind of like hunters. And so men are can typically are seen as very distant from having compassion and empathy. And it's typically, that's the woman's role, right? So we see men yeah. are more likely to enroll in the military, enroll in a police force and to tend mm-hmm. to act very sexually dominant towards women when they're treating, when they're, when they treat women like a sport, they're pursuing them for a sport. And this is where we come back yeah. to this whole idea of hunting because I see what was happening in dog soldiers, right? The werewolves were hunting the military folks. At the end of the day, the military men and the special ops, they were originally there to do kind of like a hunting exercise to try and find the special ops people that, and what they were doing. So we bring now back to this whole domination of animals. 91% of hunters are male and there's a whole culture around hunting and about men yeah. going out into the woods, masculinity, bonding over the pursuit and the kill of the animal. They're sharing it over beers, they're sharing it over gun talk. And there's a lot of time that women are not involved in this. And it's uh, another form of masculinity, a form of bonding. And this is kind of, we see this attitude too when it comes to, you know, the military culture where, you know, you're bonding over your weapons and you're bonding over the kills, even though like, and I'm not, and I'm not speaking for like, obviously not in the military and I'm obviously speaking uh, from a woman and this perspective, but seeing a film where hunting and male virility is really combined together, you can also see that in the aspects of like military operations, right? Because you're at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you're hunting, whether you're hunting an animal mm-hmm. or you're hunting you know, the enemy, you are out there hunting. And another interesting fact too is during a lot of the world wars, meat was often diverted to soldiers on the field to give them strength and to fight their enemy. And so once again, putting in the belief that men need to eat meat to be strong. Men need to hunt to be men. And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our new sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're spinsters, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or a good book. Yes, with a hot mug of delicious tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more. But what really stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky names. With Shy the 13th and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in hell. I love coconut. And I'm currently obsessed with Screamsicle. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian listeners, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. So my final thoughts when it comes to the werewolf genre within the horror community, it's actually a very underdeveloped genre, I feel. The werewolf comes second to the vampire. It comes se- it comes third to the witch, but it doesn't really get, a, I don't. I feel it doesn't get the same of exploration that it really should get. I, I know there's tons of werewolf films out there, American Werewolf in London, The Howling, and these are great films, but they have some really interesting ideas and concepts concepts in them that I don't feel like we always get to talk about a lot. And I think it was great to be able to sit down and look at these two different, very, very different films, The Wolfman and Dog Soldiers, and really talk about these ideas of masculinity within these films, because they both of them are product of their time. And for men, so much has changed from 1941 to now. A lot of things still stay stay the same. Men are only men if they shoot guns and hunt other animals and dominate other species. But at the end of the day, there is this urge within men that a lot of times that beast within is 
the feelings that are not coming out, the things that they need to talk about, the ideas that they have, the subconscious desires. But because men are taught not to think about their feelings and not to feel and not to engage, they harbor all those emotions within. And half the time it does create a beast, a monster within and, and ends up coming out in very dangerous and very violent ways. And when I look at the history of the werewolf and I look at the legends, right, and those three, four men that I talked about in the very early of the podcast, all these men were seen as werewolves because of some form of crime that they committed that was too heinous for society to understand. But at the end of the day, when you really look at the history, these men were mentally ill. They didn't have the means or resources to be able to deal with their conditions. And some of the times mental illness comes from the fact of you're constantly suppressing some kind of inner desires or some kind of inner thoughts or feelings that are not being expressed. And I feel that happens to men in many situations where they can't engage in society the way they want to because they don't want to be seen as weak and they don't want to be deemed that way. So I feel like at times we make the werewolf a monster because these are inappropriate feelings that are coming out in a way that are monstrous in the way that's destructive because if a man does really engage with his feelings he becomes a monster so we can't let that happen and why I think you know having this opening in this conversation about masculinity in the horror film particularly around the film and the werewolf is really interesting and I'm really glad that we were able to do this for my final thoughts this evening a really interesting thing that I have learned now throughout the research and watching of werewolf films and researching about werewolves and all that stuff it's uh, it's really interesting to see the differences between female werewolves and male werewolves uh, men are all about the bloodlust the murder and the strength Whereas our female werewolves, it's all about sexual appetite, sexuality, and a lot of those elements are empowering elements. They are not shameful. The men are cursed. The women are liberated. And I love that so much. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to when we cover female werewolves, because folks, you know that we're going to in the future. But I really, really loved that aspect about it. And that's a really interesting thing that I learned. In Dog Soldiers, there is a mention about the underdogs. And so an underdog is either someone who's had little chance of winning, like a competitor, a loser, or it's a person who has little status in society or a victim of injustice or persecution. They also have the top dogs or those that are expected to win. The first recorded use of the term underdog actually occurred in the second half of the 19th century. It used to mean the beaten dog in a fight. Yikes. Dog fighting. That's where that came from. So we feel sympathy for our underdogs. We root for them. I know that I always do. Uh, I probably, I myself was likely an underdog in life, definitely growing up. Like they are the outcasts. They are the other. So underdogs. In Dog Soldiers, we could see the humans first as this going up against the supernatural, huge, intense werewolves. And then sometimes we might see them as the werewolves themselves, as the underdogs in this, because the the humans do win in the end. In the real world, not in film, nothing supernatural, the harsh realities, the underdogs are other species. We as humans have staked our claim on them. We are convinced that we are the dominant species, but I feel like we cheat. We use technology, we use machines, we use more to devastate our earth. It's not a fair fight. We created factory farming, and now we're facing a global pandemic because of it. Our attitudes towards other animals harms the planet and each other as a species and as individuals, men, women, children alike. Eating dead animals is not manly. It's pathetic. At the end of Dog Soldiers, it's one man and one dog that survives. And we have man and animal working together because they do. That is 
I feel like the constant struggle in our world to, to create a balance between humans and nature, other animals, but also within ourselves. And sometimes the beast within wins. That ends our exploration of the werewolf and horror and its connection to masculinity. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro outro music, Row Beast, and Brandon for his work on our promotional materials. And also all you listeners, we want to remind you to follow us on our website at spinstersofhorror.com, Facebook at Spinsters of Horror, and our Facebook group, the Spinsters of Horror Coven. We're on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. We're also on Instagram at Spinsters of Horror. As well, please write and review us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and literally any podcasting app you listen to us on. We have merch, so please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop on our website. Also on the website, we have a donation button. So if you decide that you'd want to contribute to our spinster cause, please do so. Next month, we are going back in time to look at horror in the 1960s with a focus around one of the queens of classic horror, Barbara Steele. We'll be talking about the duality of women represented in the films from 1960, Black Sunday, and from 1964, The Long Hair of Death. But until then, remember, the future of fear is female. 